Well, like initially we did have a boots on the ground because we could not go and see anything. We could not leave this country. And because again, we're like brand new, we went on like top syndicators, right? Like people who have hundreds of millions of assets under management. And if they had a free guide on their due diligence process, I downloaded it and literally did a whole copy and paste. And I was like, well, if this is what these people are looking at and they have millions of assets under management, I think it should work for us too. (laughs) And it did. (laughs) What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guests are Susie Sevier and Michael Barnhart. That's right. We have two guests today, business partners, married couple in Cambridge, England, teaching us about a different way to think about ROI in our real estate investments. They think about it as, of course, they're looking at return on investment, right? But this is a conversation about return on impact. And we dive into what that means and concrete ways in which they use that mentality to improve their business and improve their real estate investments. Don't worry, we get some actionable ideas here. And again, ways in which they apply this idea of return on impact to their real estate investments. Great stuff, great conversation. You're gonna learn a lot. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call with me. I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. That's when we're helping you guys escape the Wall Street Casino. Once again, our guests today, two guests are Susie Sebier and Michael Barnhart. We're talking about a different way to think about ROI and ultimately improve our real estate investments. Great stuff. Without any further ado, here we go. Susie and Michael, thank you for joining us today. This is going to be fun. Absolutely, Taylor. We're such, so glad to be here. It's going to be a fun, fun time. All right. For our listeners out there who don't know about yourselves and your background, can you tell us about what you do, where you're investing from, and your business, your investing business. Give us the intro. Yeah, I can I can give us a little start and then I'll have Michael plug away. So Michael and I live all the way across the pond in Cambridge, England. Here I am currently like a active real estate professional. I am investing in the US, all the way in Oklahoma and Texas. From here, all of it's been done virtually, but before I became a real estate professional. I was a project manager for a biotech company that is just local over here, but we soon just realized that being able to work from anywhere makes a huge difference on your life, your lifestyle, just everything at all. So that's why I took the plunge. And then Michael, why are we here? Yeah. The reason why we're over here (laughs) in England is uh, I'm currently getting a PhD in biochemistry. So before coming here, I was teaching at the Air Force Academy. 
which is a master's degree. So they sent me to get a PhD and I returned back to continue teaching and finish out my military career in the Air Force. Almost there. So, you know, seven more years or something. So I'm uh, looking forward to retiring for sure. But yeah, our company is Adventurous Real Estate Investors. And that company, we focus on a different ROI and that's return on impact. And I'll let Susie talk a little bit about that. You want to go into it right now? <laughs> go for it. Let's do okay. it. Yeah. So we, you know, we operate and syndicate asset manage multifamily properties. And the biggest part about multifamily properties is the residents, right? And everybody else who's involved, whether that is all of the vendors, whether that is the broker who helped us get the deal, the insurance guy, you know, everyone involved. And so we just had thought to ourselves, like when you start talking about people instead of profits, like the conversation totally changes, but then the profits naturally come, right? Because I mean, we still run a business. We still own a business. Like we still understand numbers. We have to make a profit work, but like we wanted to really focus on the people because without all of those people, we don't have a business. And so it just seemed like that was the biggest way to focus on that return on impact. So although like you can't see it number wise, theoretically, right. I can't put it in an Excel sheet and it comes up. But like when I go to the properties, I feel a difference, you know, like I create those relationships so that the properties are run better and well, like I try to just create a community where people feel very safe and open. And so that is where return on impact was born. And we know that it's made a huge difference just by that, the people that we've worked with. So we're really, really happy that that's something that we've been able to achieve. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. And, you know, you guys are, are clearly, uh, you know, data-driven people. If I, if I, at least I had to take a guess, you, you're probably really focusing on the data. And really what I'm wondering is first, how you, you quantify return on impact. I mean, return on investment, right? That's pretty straightforward, but, but how do you quantify first the actions up front to invest for impact? And then on the back end, how do you actually look for the markers that, you know, you're achieving what you want to achieve in that regard? Yeah, that's a great question. So like when it comes to our business plan in our deals, like we have a main component of it, right? Whether that's like installing in unit washer and dryer connections and the washer and dryers. But then once we close, we send out a survey to all of the residents because we still have some contingency money, right? Like where else can we create value to this property? And so in that survey, that's exactly what we asked. Like, what do you want to see here? What is an amenity that you think we're missing out on? And so we directly involve them. And, you know, like all of the ideas that we give, you know, whether it's like A through D, like we know what the ROI is on it. But like when you see people continuing to check off the same thing, like we know that we're creating an impact with them because we, they have been given the decision also to like make it with us. They don't necessarily know, right. That like Michael and I are in the background, like creating the survey, creating the questions. Maybe they think it's the property manager and that's totally okay. But just knowing that they are involved in something that they feel like is their home is completely different, right? Because like in an apartment, it's not yours, but like when you get to be a just even a little itty bitty part of the decision-making, it kind of becomes yours and you feel more at home. And when you become feel more at home, you treat the apartment better. And when you treat the apartment better, when you move out, there's less damages. You hopefully have, have less turnover because you're a part of the decision-making. Like that's where we look at it in the background, you know, is like, what is the ROI on the stuff that we're actually putting on the survey? Like with the people who actually 
submitted the survey back to our property manager, like if, and when they move out, like what was their apartment like? And I know there's a lot of variables that can go into it, but like those are just little things that we think about when it comes to like trying to put it on a piece of paper, but then with our investors also, right? Like the more that we talk about it, the more that our like passive investors, like come to think about impact within themselves, like, oh, I want to be a part of a deal where I know that the residents are being thought about. But then on top of that, like what impact are they making on their life? That's pretty huge also. And so like, we tend to have our like investor calls focus on impact. Like we talk about the resident base, but then we also talk about that within themselves. And we've seen investors who, because of that, right? Like they've invested more than once, or we have newer investors who want to invest right away just because it's like, okay, this is more than just, okay, we're going to flip a unit, right? Or not flip a unit, flip an apartment building, because Mm -hmm. that's not what it's all about. And that's really disruptive. And so we just make that very clear, even in those investor calls. Wow. Awesome. So there's a lot in there. First, I think the surveys are a great idea. I'm surprised more people aren't doing that. And I'm curious how you really set up the surveys and then parse the data. And really what I mean by that is, are you sending out the surveys with a, uh, a multiple choice list of, Hey, pick these things. If pick your favorite thing here and that, or is it a different setup? And then when you get it back, are you kind of basing it on the, the volume of particular responses or you know, how are you handling the data on the back end? Because I can see a number of ways to actually process the data and make decisions based off of it. Yeah, absolutely. So we do we do exactly what you say. So like we use a multiple choice, like, hey, these are the amenities we could add uh, of these. Which ones would you like? Or you can write in what you like, right? And then we just, unfortunately, like, you know, investing in C-class properties, uh, a lot of people, we don't use digital surveys, like hand, not handwritten, but like, print out where they can hand write everything in. We just like stick them on our door. We usually get the highest response that way. Um, sending it out through like Appfolio and stuff like that, which is our, our property management company uses where it goes to like their renter portfolio. doesn't really get a lot of response that way. Um, but we do also say that if they send it back, then they get a gift card. So that always oh, helps. Okay. <laughs> you're like a five, five or $10 gift card for every response we get back. And you'd be surprised how many people will respond then, you know, tie a monetary value. And then they actually most likely give like genuine responses too. Yeah. So. Nice. I like that. I feel the the paper version honestly feels a bit more personal too. I feel like if I got that email survey as a, as a tenant, I wouldn't even open that email. I would just yeah. delete it and not, not process it. But a paper survey that you can hand in really feels a lot more uh, personal and like it will be taken seriously. So, you know, I have to ask about the responses. I mean, what are you finding are the most popular options? You mentioned washer dryer hookups early in the beginning, but is there, you know, what else is on the list? Ceiling fans, something else? So at first, like we thought there was one property that we owned that has like a lot of dogs and we're like, cool, we'll put a dog park in and overwhelming response to that was absolutely not do not like, we don't want a dog park. <laughs> like we don't care. We just walk our dog outside. We don't need to go. You know, this is not like an A-class property where you go hang out and drink some beers and watch your dogs run around. Right. So it's like, you know, they just take their dogs out do the business and then they go, they get, put them back away and they go to work. Right. So like, yeah, it was just very eye-opening, but obviously every property is different. Yeah. People love the in-unit washer and dryers though. 
because yeah. they, especially during COVID, when you don't have to spend time around other people in like a crowded laundromat, right? Being able to do that in the comfort of your own home is a such a game changer for these people. Okay. Okay. So the one of the things about the in-unit washer dryers, if you is if you have a, a common water source and the the property's paying for it, if you're not doing rubs, then that can increase your utility bill. So how are you handling those costs? Is there a charge for washer and dryer? What do you do there? Yeah. So uh, multiple different ways. So like typically what we've done is like do, you know, $75 rent premium for the hookups, uh, just having the hookups. And then most of the time we'll install what we have so far installed, like actual stackables, um, where stackables go in because most people don't own stackables. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're not going to bring their own stackables. So then that would be like, you know, another, you know, 25 or $50 uh, rent increase on top of that, like to rent those stackables. But in like, you know, the larger, like two bedroom units where you can actually have a side-by-side, sometimes renters have a side-by-side. So we'll give them the option whether or not they want to rent those out or not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. I can't say I'm too surprised by the dog park. I feel like I rarely see those dog parks actually being used. They just seem to be put in and then not put to use by a lot of uh, tenants, but that's just observation. Um, so on the back end, when you get the surveys back, is it purely based on popularity or have there been any, any things that were popular that you were like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Or how do you handle the data when you get it back? Yeah. Yeah. Something at one of our properties, a lot of people wanted storage units and I don't know. I don't think we actually thought that people were going to want storage units. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then we talked to our property manager. She was like, We've put storage units at other properties in the area and they haven't been used. So yes. like, so we kind of like trump that. Right? Yeah. And Sorry. then we, yeah, we just didn't know. And then we had thought to ourselves, like, do they know that they would have to pay, you know, like the storage unit would be an additional fee. Like it's not just a free for all there. Were, so after that survey, we're like, Hey, we're going to word things a little bit differently next time. <laughs> <laughs> But that was definitely one that we did not move um, forward with. But, you know, that same property was like, we need new, more parking or we want reserved parking. And mm-hmm. so like reserved parking went in right away, more parking. Yeah, reserved parking for like 10 bucks a month too. And they're like, oh, yes. they're like, we don't care. And we couldn't paint numbers fast enough on the parking spots, you know? And that and was it's cool. like, and, now, and then there was people who didn't get a reserved spot who now can't park, right? So it's like, ah, it's like it goes back and forth, right? Yeah, they keep please everybody. It's hard. So you can't, but there's, especially depending on where you are in a city, I mean, parking is a huge premium and 10 bucks a month is reasonable to know that you're going to have a spot available. So that is Mm -hmm. a very interesting insight. Curious about the storage. Did you consider maybe partnering with a nearby mini storage to get a special, you know, first month deal or something like that? Or do you think the having to pay for it would be a, a decision changer, I suppose, having to pay for storage. Oh, no. So we did not think of that idea, but that's a good idea. <laughs> there you go. I like that, yeah. right? Yeah. No, that's good. I just like when once all the costs came like down to the storage and like what we'd have to increase, it would it just seemed high like compared to like what we had received just about rent increases in general, right? And I mean, nobody likes rent increases ever, but it was just like, okay, like, I don't think this is the best actual return on our investment that we can actually do. Like maybe it'd be spent better elsewhere. I mean, and we looked into a lot of stuff for that property, even like solar, right? Like, because, Hey, if 
the residents don't have to pay for electric. Like, will that make a game changer? And then even with that ROI, we were like, oh, yeah, solar that's a no. <laughs> solar only makes sense in like uh, in states that have like green initiatives where you can get a lot of rebates for that, you know, tax rebates and things like that. Yeah. Um, where they don't exist in Oklahoma. It, you, the, the ROI, like, you know, your return, whatever, to actually capture everything you put into it. I think it was, I think we calculated like 20 years or something like that. Or 30. So, I think it was a yeah, very was, long time. It was a really long time. I was like, we're going to be long gone from this property by then. So, yeah. Compared to the cost of, say, a can of paint to paint numbers and then administrating yeah, reserved exactly. parking on the back end. Correct. Yes. Right. That brainer. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, how about on the boots on the ground management side, the, the tenant experience side with the property management? Have you uh, gotten gotten into that at all? How do you handle that? Because I, I would imagine there's an additional layer of complexity that you know you're calling us from England right now. So it's not like you're going to drop into the property and like secret shop it with the property manager. So how do you handle the actual you know day to day management of the property for impact? Yeah, so we do have a property management company that we hired. Um, they are on site, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to six ish. From the very beginning, we knew that that was really important, right? Because even at the beginning of our journey, like when I was on calls or Michael was on calls or when we were on calls together, a lot of people or a lot of people talk about like the problems that they're having with their property manager. And we're like, wow, I never want to feel this way, right? Like what is the point? Um, and so we interviewed like four or five before we got a referral for the property management company that we did. And, you know, like when you just were to Google it, the biggest ones show up, but then at the same time, like the biggest ones don't necessarily know the area or the people, or like at this point too, with apartments, you know, everybody wants them. I mean, it's also hard to find like good property managers, right? Like you can have a great CEO and then the onsite property manager can just not be the brightest crane in the box or the friendliest one at that. And so we just really took our time. You know, we got referrals after that. And then once we started to tell like even brokers or vendors, Hey, we're working with this property manager. Everyone was like, Oh, that's a good choice. I'm like, why didn't anybody say this earlier? <laughs> and I'll say, you know, I'll tell you what, Taylor. So like Susie mentioned, we interviewed a bunch of property management companies, took our time finding the right one. But I think what really did it for us was like, we're really big on saying like resident versus tenant or like, you know, apartment community versus like apartment complex, right? Like those little subtleties, like we noticed when we were interviewing them as well, like they talked about residents because I feel like tenant sometimes feels like really abrasive. It can be. And uh, and so like by saying like resident and then like the property management company also saying that like we were like, okay, this is a perfect fit. And they're like talking about the people and how they're changing lives and things like that. Not, re- not really talking too much about like getting our return that we need, right? Like it's more about like taking care. We'll worry about asset managing to make sure that we are right, you know, getting the returns we need to get. They can focus on taking care of the residents of the property. Nice. Okay. So I'd also like to dig into the the nuts and bolts of running your business virtually, especially, you know, from from such a long distance, you've got the time difference to deal with, plus the you know, difficulty of uh, traveling to the properties or traveling to the area to to look at properties. Can you walk us through how you're handling, you know, finding deals, evaluating them, building relationships? Like you said, you build relationships with property managers to pick out the right ones, brokers 
all those things. There's so many people involved in the process. How are you tracking them down, figuring out who are the best ones, and then you know ultimately finding properties that are good deals? So at the beginning, like you said, it was all virtual, but like just beyond calling them to ask about deals, like Michael would call them and just ask how their like day or week was going. So like you created that extra level of friendship almost, right? So that it didn't just feel like a transactional relationship. It actually felt like a friendship. And so from there, like that's how it worked with brokers. That's how it worked with our lenders. And then like early on, we had met another syndicator in like the same space in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. And he just saw that we were willing to put in the work every week. So he like became our organic mentor. And like, because of him, you know, we had more credibility and that was just because of showing up and showing up even with the time difference, right? Because like this whole entire time too, we're also accommodating others because we're at the very beginning of our stage and that's just what you have to do. But now that the UK says that it's pretty much like a free-for-all, I can now travel to Tulsa. (laughs) 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 And so that's just been a huge difference too, right? Because like now when we talk to brokers or other syndicators or new vendors, like I actually get to meet them in person. So like we already stick out, right? Like we are this couple from England syndicating all the way in the US. So like when it does come to meet me, like it feels like a connection has already been made because Michael took the time to create a relationship and just instead of just having a transaction. So now meeting them in person is much more like fun and exciting. It's not like just talking about deals. It's talking about like all things England. And, you know, like Michael likes to golf. So sometimes I get in these golf conversations that I didn't know I could have. And, you know, just talking about like whether that's traveling or their families or all of the above, right? Because they've even followed us because we've become friends with them on LinkedIn or Facebook. So like they've seen this journey of us, they know we're real. And even because of that, it's like just added this extra layer of, I don't know, warm fuzzies, I guess is a good way to put it. But yeah, like now though, when I got to Tulsa, like in October, I was there for a month, November, I was there for three weeks. And so I really tried to actually be there for a longer period of time too, so that I like really know the area I can like see properties when I'm there. But like initially we did have a boots on the ground because we could not go and see anything. We could not leave this country. And because again, we're like brand new, we went on like top syndicators, right? Like people who have hundreds of millions of assets under management. And if they had a free guide on their due diligence process, I downloaded it and literally did a whole copy and paste. And I was like, well, if this is what these people are looking at and they have millions of assets under management, I think it should work for us too. (laughs) And it did. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I love that free education. I think too often folks are, are almost too willing to right off the bat, pay for an expensive mentorship before they really take advantage of the free stuff that's out there, frankly. And once you're bringing other people's money in, okay, it makes sense to invest in some actual coaching. But you know, right up front, you can learn so much for free that's available out there. It's really incredible. Totally. It's it's endless too. Like in this lifetime, I don't even know if I could ever consume all of the free content, right? But it's actually doing it because once it's free though, you don't have anything like tied to you. But even I guess if people were to pay $30,000 for a mentorship program, sometimes they still don't take action. But like that money is supposed to encourage you to take action because you spent all the money doing it. But like, there are so many free resources. It blows my mind. (laughs) 
Absolutely. Action, I believe, is is the biggest thing, right? That that makes totally. the difference, right? Paying for a program, you still have to take the action. So yeah. Awesome. I love it. So tell us about, you know, what's up next. I'm just like really curious what's coming for you guys down the pipe. I mean, are you fixing to, you know, stay over there in the UK? What's the plan? You know, once you get that PhD and and are out of the military, what are you gonna do? So long term, like once I retire, then our plan is to like we're building up our passive investments now uh, and we're also active. Right. So, but like eventually like towards, as I progress towards retirement, which is, you know, just shortly down the road, like we're ramping up our passive and then like eventually the active will kind of taper off naturally as we continue to build up more and more passive income. And then the plan is just to, for Susie and I to travel the world and like live three months here, live three months there. We not really have a home base, but just travel where, wherever we feel like going to next. And that's how we're going to live out the rest of our life. So awesome. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and in real estate, yeah, I find you tend to meet a lot of people who have that, a, a very similar plan, that exact plan. Hey, we're going to get enough passive income going that we don't have to work anymore. They get to that point and then they're like, well, we still like doing real estate deals. So yeah. don't really stop doing them. Right. Like, Hey, if we could be a KP, you know, and just sign on deals or at like at one point of like, we have an operator that we really trust, like we could raise capital and do something else very small. Right. Because you still have to do more than just raising capital. Just take off, take our foot off of being like the asset managers, operators. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Well, love the story. I love the the strategy and focusing on your return on impact right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, guys, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? Yes. All right, let's do it. Perfect. Love the answer. (laughs) First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yes, I'm going to say my cat during COVID (laughs) because I was just here all by myself. (laughs) I was going to say the ATM deal we invested in. It's literally an ATM, which is like pumping out money every month, which is tight. (laughs) Nice. Those have gotten a lot more popular in, in recent years, and they do seem to make a lot of sense as long as you have a reputable operator is my understanding of business. Very important. Yeah. Love it. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Our e-commerce, Amazon Amazon drop shipping. Yeah. Terrible. Stay away. That's terrible. (laughs) Interesting. So we tried it. So we tried it. Yeah. It sounds great. It's not real. (laughs) It it is for some. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Yeah. It just didn't press. There are people making a lot of money in that. So it's, it, it is real, but plenty of people do, you know, fail and that's, that's fine. I'm curious what happened for you guys. Like, give us a little story if you would. So we're still like going through it. Anyways, like our, our store got shut down a couple of times and then like, like the company who was like running our store, like failed to like take action to like get it back open and things like that. So anyways, 
switch companies now. We actually have a call after this to see what we're going to do next, but uh, it looks like we're making some progress, but it's just been Fingers crossed. painful, you know, <laughs> like I wouldn't say we lost any money yet, but like, it's just like not made the returns. I, I'd rather pull that money out and put it back into real estate. Totally. So, yeah. If you had to do it all over again, you would focus on the thing that you're good at, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? To ask deep questions like with your partners, right? So like you think you know someone like whether they've been your friend or even if you've known them for like two years, but like you need to ask those hard questions, even when it comes to like, what happens when you and your husband and or wife, like what happens when you guys fight, right? Like, how do you react? Like, how do you treat money? Um, what does money seem like to you? Like, what does it mean to you? Like, what are your values and morals? That's a good one. Cause most people don't talk about it. <laughs> so just asking like deep questions, which can create like even deeper, you know, intimate relationships with your partners, which is really cool. Or it's like, wow. We that great answer, you know. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it's just uh, aggressively taking action and being patient with the results. Nice. I like the taking action and being patient with the results because, especially in real estate, it takes a long time to do that first deal. It's really tough, but you have to be persistent and make it happen. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Awesome. Well, it's been great talking with you guys today. I love the focus on return on impact. And I appreciate that you shared a couple of very concrete ways in which you apply that to the day-to-day of your business. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more or anything like that, where can they track you down? So the best way to find us is, so we talked a lot about, Susie talked a lot about return on impact here. Um, And so Susie actually wrote a guide, Passive Investing with Purpose. And you can find that at adventurousrei.com forward slash impact. And there you can download a guide. You can also find all of our contact information on that site. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. My cat's whining outside my door right now. I don't know if you guys can hear that. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that so, so much. Uh, I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.